that was I didn't expect that to happen. But there we go. We're back again for another brand new episode of the Beautiful Mind Game podcast with myself, Hams from Friday Night Counterattack, and Mili Chandarana, the Mad Mentor. And we're back again with another fantastic guest who's had so many ups and downs in their career. There's so much to learn from them. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they've done it because once again, Millie, we have another footballer on the podcast and we have a footballer who just ha- hasn't taken no for an answer from what I've gathered from her career, looking back on it as well. There's lots to really learn from this particular individual. And ever since I found out about her earlier this year as well, I've just been fascinated by learning a bit more. And I'm really glad that we've been able to get this guest onto the podcast. And Millie, first of all, how are you? And are you okay to introduce our brand new guest for the Beautiful Mind Game today? I am brilliant, Hams. Thank you so much. Um, great to do another episode again. We're back with another female footballer. And you know what? I'm so excited to learn about her journey so far. I mean, it, I guess it's going to be really insightful because not only is the football there, it's all the other stuff we love talking about, isn't it? It's the mentality, it's the drive, it's the ambition. And yeah, it's I the just human behind the, the footballer or behind the athlete, as we like to say as well. So exactly, that's what we love. And to play in top top clubs as well, and also to go abroad. So I know we've had a few people who have been talking about their careers, but to have everything into one, it'll be brilliant, won't it? Definitely. And the fact that she's actually spent time traveling all the way to the other side of the world and she's available for our podcast, we cannot thank you highly enough. Charlotte Potts. Charlotte, thank you very much for joining our podcast. If you are jet lagged, I truly understand because I recently got back from a long trip from North America. So it took me a whole week to recover. So I'm only just back to my normal self. But thank you very much for your time. If you do need um, to just relax or anything like that, we appreciate the fact that you've got so much time for ahead of the rest of the day because of the time difference and everything. So if you need us to take a little break, just let us know. We'll be happy to take a break and we'll carry on from there. How are you doing today, Charlotte? I'm good, thank you. It's not necessarily the jet lag, I would say. It's the fact that I've been training like quite late on. Well, it's obviously a mixture of the jet lag and training at the same time, but yeah, I'm all good. You know, it's you. The, smile, the smiles just popped on our faces. Like, that's what we love to hear, that mentality of just <laughs> continuously training. I don't, need to, I don't need to worry about jet lag. I'll just go to training a couple of days mm-hmm. after landing, which is great. Have but... you been training today, Charlotte? No, because it's only 9am, so... Oh wow! The day after the day after I got here, I went straight into the gym and then trained. And mm. um, but the tra- training was until seven thirty, so like obviously that would have been like two three a.m. our time. But I mean, you've just got to get on with it, don't you? Lots of naps, lots of naps to catch up the hours. Definitely, no, I I can side with that as well. I'll take random naps at random times of day after training after being jet lagged, but it's not something that happens all the time when I fly away. So. It is what it is. But Charlotte, thank you very much once again for coming on to the podcast. We are going to be talking a lot more about your off-the-field career more than your on-the-field career because we know that you played for some big clubs. Our listeners will be able to listen to that on the on the last part of the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to know a bit more about how you got into being such a... I don't, I don't want to... I don't mean this in a bad way because Millie will agree with me and I will probably say the same thing. In such a, a really busy individual, like a busybody, because you have so many things going on. Mm-hmm. You've got a family that you've got. You've got friends that you've got. And then you've got all these other things that you have to do going forward as well. Um, You're talking about racism in your spare time. You're talking about fitness in your spare time. You're talking about football in your spare time. And for me, I always say, I think basically what I say to Millie is I always feel like I'm a really busy person. But when I put it into context with yourself, 
doesn't compare. It really doesn't compare to what you do. So hats off to you straight away. But how do you kind of deal with everything that you're doing um, just off the bat, really? Um, I mean, in terms of like football, I've never necessarily been at a full-time club. So you've got to have that dual career where you've got to keep your opportunities open to everything. Yeah. So in terms of financial, like it's not been great because I've been having to like, sort of do all the groundwork for opportunities that are hopefully going to come after football yeah. in terms of volunteering to do commentary, which was beneficial because I got my first paid commentary gig for the BBC just before I came here. And I mean, you've got to put yourself out there voluntarily to, to gain them paid opportunities. And I mean, it has been tough, but um, and that took, took a toll on my mental health before Christmas because I was being so busy. And I wasn't giving myself enough time to recharge. But that's just the life of a female footballer. I mean, it's it's difficult. Yeah, 100%. And I applaud you for that as well. Because ever since I met Millie, and Millie's been telling me about how many things she has to do off the field just to support her on the field career as well. Millie, you can kind of relate to that as well, can't you? 100%. I mean, a lot of people I know as well, female footballers, we all do... 10,000 things on the side as well, but that's what mm -hmm. we have to do. Do you know what I mean? We have to do it to kind of not only survive, but to kind of uh, cliche, but thrive as well. And yeah. to be honest, we like doing it as well, right? I'm sure Charlotte would agree. You, I mean, yeah, you volunteered, but like you love to do it, right? I'm curious, how did that come about? Like, how did you volunteer? How did you get the place? How did you know you wanted to do commentary? Um, I sort of built a professional relationship with the people in Gateshead and um, I was doing a summer camp and I mean one thing sort of leads to another once you get your foot in the door and uh, you build a relationship with the fans the volunteers within the club and I mean I'm not gonna lie I just asked I asked if I could have the opportunity to do some commentary and they were like, absolutely, come on. And I won't lie, I was very nervous my first time. Um, mm -hmm. But it made me realise, like, this is going to be beneficial for me on the pitch. Yeah. So I put every effort into it possible and it turns out that I was okay at it. So they asked me back on. And, I mean, you can't necessarily get good at something like that until you, until you do it. You just have to learn on the job. So I was very grateful that they asked me for back, back to do more. And I won't lie, like when I went to Switzerland, I was a little bit like gutted because I got I missed a few of their games. And it sort of made me follow the team's progress throughout the, the season. Um, obviously, as well as being in my own team environment, I got to witness someone else's team environment. And I sort of took learning from them which was very good because, I mean, Mike Williamson's the, man of, like, the manager of Gator, but he used to play in the Premier League for Newcastle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to be able to watch people like that lead a team and like watch their recovery and watch their mindset and sort of learn from them, it was, it was so good. That's brilliant. So you said it, it was going to help you on the pitch or it did help you on the pitch. How, how has it helped you? On the pitch. Because well, you think about it, you're like you've you're listening to the commentary, you're watching every single detail. Like when you watch a football game as a fan, you can like you sort of sometimes get soaked up by the atmosphere and the goals, and you you're listening to fans on the side. But when you've got them headphones in and you're commenting, 
on what's happening. You have to watch every single detail of what goes on from the emotion spiking. You sort of like predicting what's going to happen next and then you're sort of analysing what's actually happened. So your mind's like the mental side of it. It's so, so demanding. I actually used to get really mentally fatigued by doing that. And if you think about it, like especially me as a centre-back, that's my game. I have to read the game. Mm-hmm. It was very beneficial. I can sort of like, when I'm on the pitch now, because I've got that experience of reading it, I can smell danger a lot easier. I can identify when something needs to be adapted for us to like to get something out of the game. Um, so yeah, it was it was very beneficial. That's brilliant. Fantastic to hear as well, because again, when you're doing, once you're doing one thing, it leads to another thing and actually helps you with multiple things as well. And again, like I said before, we're going to be talking about football at the end because you've got so much to go through today, Charlotte. But I didn't even know about your commentary. So thank you for telling us about that, honestly, because I just said like, oh, I didn't notice you were doing commentary as well. But how many games have you commentated on um, so far in your commentating career? Not a lot because there was an excellent um, local journalist helping as well. And I, I used to like, he he done wonders for the club in terms of um, attracting media. Yeah. So I'm going to say roughly around eight. Okay. I'm not too sure, but yeah. I think Millie and I can agree we need a bit more commentators from different parts of the country because I, I love it when you get different voices on commentators. Yes. Oh, co- yeah, like you need different accents every now and then. And I like it when even uh, Karen Kearney, she gets a bit of flack from people because of her Birmingham or West Midlands accent. But I don't mm. mind that. Perfectly fine. Because mm. you've got Gary Neville with his uh, Northwest accent. You've got Jamie Carragher with a Scouse accent. Why not have someone from the Northeast as well in the future? That'd be really good, wouldn't it, Millie? Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I think we've got a few diverse accents here today, right? <laughs> yeah, we definitely I'm not going to lie. I do have to turn it down sometimes. <laughs> Nah, I can't, we can't turn it down. I, I don't know who said it. I think it was on, you know who it was? It was Lorraine. You know Lorraine, the morning presenter? Um, she was on the Mo Gilligan show and she was saying that, oh yeah, when she was growing up um, in Scotland, they were like, oh, you have to change your voice. No one in uh, the audience will understand you, yada, yada, yada. And she's been doing it for what, 20 plus years now on morning daytime TV. And everyone loves her for it because it's her individual self. It's who she is. So uh, yeah. never know. We could be seeing you commentating. No, not sort of turning it down. I think it's more eliminating the slang. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think many people understand Geordie slang. Like It's still fine. Everyone's got slang in different parts of the country as well. And people can pick it up if it's on local TV or national TV or radio as well. So I, I'd be looking forward to that if that were the case coming, coming forward in the years to come as well, which is great. But no, thank you for talking to us about that, Charlotte, as well. One thing I wanted to talk to you about um, before, as, before we move on as well was the fact that you were a sessional educator in the show Racism, the Red Card campaign as well. And I personally thought that was tremendous. Like, I've seen you do that previously, but I didn't know you were you at the time, obviously. But this was really great stuff. Would you mind telling us a bit more about how you got involved in it, um, what it kind of means to you, and um, where you're looking to kind of move on with this kind of um, educator role for show Racism, the Red Card? Well, it was when I had got back from Canada the first time to Sunderland and I asked, was asked to do a, um, to be on an interview panel for Show Races in the Red Card yeah. at the Stadium of Light. Uh, they do this, they, they do that with a lot of clubs. Um, and I, I think sort of speaking from my experiences, 
it sort of grabbed their attention and thought, well, hold on a minute, this this girl's got a lot of experience in terms of discrimination and racism. And funny enough as well, I was sitting next to my mentor. So I've now got a relation, a really good relationship with ex-Sunderland captain Gary Bennett. Oh, and I mean, he's became absolutely amazing in my career. Um, and he's educated me a lot in terms of... Uh, racism and it helped me deal with my experiences because it made me realize sitting talking about my experiences I hadn't dealt with that um them internal struggles of witnessing discrimination and sort of being in the ripple effect of everything uh so it was just breaking down being involved with the education side of it it was just breaking down layer by layer of the different things that have affected me um, and it's helped me talk about them openly in the education sessions, which does prove to be beneficial for them because the children get to listen to real life experiences. And it's also talking therapy for me. Yeah. So we all need talking therapy because if you hold on to your experiences, you don't understand how they're actually affecting you. So it's like the education side of that has been so beneficial because if you don't listen to the education side of it, you don't understand how you've been affected. No, I can understand that perfectly as well. And basically what, why I started podcasting was because I needed uh, talking therapy without me really realizing, I know I was talking about mental health from the beginning, but in terms of mm-hmm. talking about things, it made me a lot more confident in myself, a lot more open to talk about things in general with different people with different backgrounds and it made it a lot easier for me to learn about myself in different ways as well and hopefully Millie you can probably kind of agree with that as well when you started podcasting this year as well would you agree with that Millie? Definitely I mean it it always helps doesn't it to talk and I think there's a point in your life when you actually realize that and then Mm -hmm. until that point you don't actually realize it that talking helps but as soon as you do it once you feel better after it and then you think you know what like yeah this is that's what you need to do you need to get it all out there on the table um I really appreciated that you shared that Charlotte I would like to ask you would you be able to share a couple of those experiences with us um well I mean I've got a blog out um for anyone who's interested in that and it's called the the fight out within me and that sort of talks about how I was affected when I was younger for my Mm -hmm. mum being gay so my mum my came out and me and my brother sort of got bullied really badly. Um, so there was that in terms of discrimination and bullying. But also I had a profoundly deaf boyfriend and I witnessed him get um, like really bad discrimination going on. He played for a deaf football team. And like when they used to play against teams who were here and they used to get really bad verbal abuse from the other team and the referees. Mm. and me being a young I mean I was only 15 like 16 at the time so me being on the sideline witnessing my boyfriend and all his friends get like abused because of their disability it like I didn't think about it at the time but like it makes you anxious and it, it put it puts you in fight or flight mode because whenever you're with them you're watching what everyone's doing around them and you want to protect them but also at the same time, because I was so young um, and these were grown men, like I couldn't, I didn't feel safe enough to verbally like challenge them about this discrimination. So that can have a long-term effect on you because now like, but 
it sort of like builds up, builds up anger as well. And if you don't find a way to release that anger, which is obviously why I do box, um, if you don't find a way to release that anger, it becomes unhealthy. Um, so there was that. And then I also had a, um, a black Caribbean boyfriend where in the Northeast, like he used to feel a, 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 uncomfortable a lot of the times if we were to go out, um, especially the fact that he didn't grow up in England. He grew up in the Caribbean. So it was like me trying to comfort him to feel at ease of being around a, a white community. Um, so it wasn't necessarily nice for me to witness that he was uncomfortable. But also I then, I went in the Caribbean and I felt how he felt because I was in his black community. Uh, so racism's not some always like where you get abuse. It's sometimes just a feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to be able to experience that feeling that he felt, um, it put me in his shoes and helped me support him when we when we were at home. So the northeast of England, is that predominantly like a, a white community where you're from in, in Sunderland and Gateshead around that area? Is that predominantly white? So yes. If you go into the city of Newcastle and the city of Sunderland, yeah, but when you're sort of in the in the towns, it is predominantly white. Oh, okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, no, thank you very much for sharing that as well. Yeah, that was... It's become a lot more diverse now, which is great to see, but this, that's why we need the education as well. Yeah. And having someone like yourself being able to educate people um, in, in the club, within the club as well, where you were mm -hmm. at the time, that must have been a really big eye-opener for a lot of people, even if it's just changing one person's perception, because we always say, or I always say, hopefully Millie gets on the disc saying that I use, if you can change one person's perception, you could change a hundred people's perceptions just by that one person yeah. as well. So it works. And I mean, it's, it's easier challenging the children and changing their perceptions, but it's when you have to challenge the older generation. I 100%. mean, that is tough. And especially the culture that I was born into, my family have not been easy to challenge. Yep. And so living with that, it is difficult because you're like, you, you, you want to challenge them, but you're all, you, you sense that it's difficult. Definitely. So, I mean, I've, I've managed to do that now. Like my mum is very, very wary what she says now. Um, nah, that's really nice to hear as well. But I need to know more about your boxing as well, because I used to box amateur boxing once upon a time as well. So I used it at a time when I wasn't feeling the best of myself as well. And I wanted to develop myself in a different, not just a mentality, but a different physique as well. And I really enjoyed doing it. So how has bo uh, boxing benefited you, not just as, a, as an athlete, but just as a person in general? How has that worked for you? moving forward well I used to think that it benefited me a lot when I was younger because it was like a way to release my an anger but into it used to actually make me become more aggressive okay um, in terms was that a of, good thing or a bad thing at the time well if if you look at my playing career like I'm I do appear as an aggressive physical player so when I was younger I used to let my emotions control me instead of me control my emotions yeah so I used to think boxing um, had an impact on that in terms of everything else in my life also. But now it's, I've turned that around completely and I've got that emotional intelligence and emotional control. And although I appear that physical, aggressive player, I'm still in control of everything, which becomes beneficial because like, you can use it to sort of play psychological mind games with the opponents.
definitely scaring them before and, they even come across you basically yeah and like I mean it, that was at work when we beat Liverpool before I went before I left in December and I mean we really like Liverpool were it was such an emotional game where we triggered them they weren't able to play their their usual football and you've got to be able to adapt in games like that definitely. that's brilliant was it home or away it was at home nice that's brilliant and, I was actually in a really bad state at that time as well. Like that was my last game for Sunderland, which says it all. And I, it was a midweek game and I probably shouldn't have even been playing because I was feeling so low. But I just used the fact that it was Liverpool. It was my ex-coach who was an assistant at Liverpool, Amber Whiteley, mm. was playing against old teammates. And there was just so much motivation and I thought... I'm just going to use this knowing that it's my last game for Sunderland. Nobody knew that it was it was going to be my last game, but I knew within myself, like, I need to make it a special one. Um, so, yeah. What was the score in that game? We, it was nil-nil and we took them to penalties. Brilliant. We ended, up, we ended up winning on penalties because it was a Continental Cup. But they beat us in the league game a, a couple of weeks before, mm. which I, hate, I hated because I was so determined to beat them. And I just thought, like, lessons learned. You pick up little things that you need to adjust in the next game. Um, and, yeah, I was, it was such an overwhelming feeling to be feeling that low and still beat them. What That's is, brilliant. What is winning to you, Charlotte? So when you win on a, on a football pitch, how, how do you appreciate that? Do you take learnings from that? Do you take reflections from that? Or do you take more reflections from when you lose in a game? A bit of both. Like, I'm never settled with my performances. I'll always pick things that I think could be better, um, even when I do win. I, it's funny enough, like, I don't I don't really celebrate. Like, I did in that game against Liverpool because, obviously, there were so many, like, external factors that uh, brought that winning feeling some joy. But um, I never used to feel joy with winning. Um, but I was always just wanting it to be better. Um, be interesting to see how, like, because I've got a lot of development within, like, as a person, not just a footballer. Yeah. How I'm gonna experience winning now, because, like, like you say, you've got to develop as a person and a footballer, and I'm always just in that development fit, development mindset. So because I've experienced a lot of development within the past couple of years. I'm looking forward to getting out on the pitch now and seeing how it's going to change my feeling of winning. I'd like to be able to celebrate winning more. Definitely. No, I can, I can appreciate that as well because in your footballing career as well, you played for Sunderland, you played for Hibernian, played for Sunderland again and you played for uh, Lugano just before the season finished as well. So mm -hmm. I just want to take you back to Hibernian and what made you kind of move to Scotland as well because a lot of people... They'll, they'll play it down, but even though Sunderland and Edinburgh, they're not too far away, it still is moving to a different culture, a country, different culture in, 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 a, in a sense as well. How did you find that when you had to leave um, your, your club of Sunderland, moving all the way to Scotland? How did you find that personally? I was actually, a, that was very, very difficult because we had an unbeaten season at Sunderland. Yeah. And I was, I was building my coaching business and things were going well. I was enjoying life. And I think that's the main thing. You've got to enjoy your life as well as your football because a happy player is a good player, right? 
So when COVID hit us and the the cut off our season, um, the voided it completely. That was the chances of going from amateur to professional, a 23 year old completely gone. And I'm thinking like, I've got ambition to help Sunderland progress the, through the leagues. Um, but I was living at home, not in a lot financially. And I thought like, I need that progression, that career progression, the get financial well-being and like financial well-being. So that's where I did decide to, to leave. Um, it was a very hard decision because those teammates, I've like built a lot of trust with them and that trust was completely broken, which I felt when I went back to Sunderland. Yeah. Um, but it was very difficult being in Edinburgh in a lockdown, in a pandemic, and not experiencing that, that culture properly. Uh, so, But it, it was good in terms of on the pitch. It made me get, it, it gave me a realization of, oh, I can play higher. Like, I need to keep pushing. And, like, that's where the ambitions of Super League are. Like, I felt, I felt good in the, Super, in the Scottish Premier League. And I thought, why not push myself further? Yeah. You're only limiting yourself if you're going to say no mm-hmm. in your mind. That's, that's mm-hmm. how I see it as well. But what were the differences in style of play when you moved to Hibernian, when you were? comparing it to like the English league that you're playing with in Sunderland compared to in Scotland as well? Well, now that I've obviously played all all three, Super League, Championship, and I mean, what, since the Super League, when I played in it, by the way, it's had so many developments. Yeah. So I don't even think I can compare that. Um, but in terms of Scottish Premier League and Championship, I'd say the Scottish Premier League is a lot faster um, and a lot more... Um, intense the balls in play a lot more um but in terms of intelligence wise i think the championship but it's it's a lot slower than the scottish premier league okay so i'd like to be able to get that intensity as well as the quality um, why and the game intelligence why do you think that is charlotte is it because the scottish league is more professional than the championship do they I don't know. Do they train more? Are they full-time? Um, I just think, well, there's a lot of Scottish internationals, if you think about it. So um, they are attracting good players, the Scottish League, and they've got good media. They're on BBC Alba. Um, in terms of styles, I think it's just different because obviously there's different coaches up there. If you even look at the men's Scottish Premier League compared to the, men, the English Premier League, it's different styles. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very tactical in England, um, very technical. They're able to slow it down to then speed it up, which keeps the quality. Um, so, yeah, I think the championship's good, but it's just not got that intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think, if you look at the players in the championship, there, there is a lot of young young players too. Millie, are you a player in the championship? Yeah, at the minute, yes, I am. <laughs> I am. I'm not that young, though, let me say. <laughs> I'm at Blackburn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that there's a lot of young players? Um, There are. Yeah, there are a lot of young players. I found, honestly, and it's surprising, that there are a lot of experienced players as well because I've just mm-hmm. come back and I've never played in the Championship before. Like, oh. I, I've never been in that league before. But it's, I find it very, it's a tough league. It's a very tough league. And I find it very close as well. 
So yeah. like you said, you you beat Liverpool. We drew with yeah. them. I mean, they were like long gone. They, they'd already won the league, but mm-hmm. we drew with them. Um, yeah. So yeah, you never know. And it, you're right, it's the type of football that's technical, tactical. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting to know that the Scottish League is fast. That's actually surprised me. Um, but I just wonder, is it because they're a little bit more athletic? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not sure. Like, I, I tended to find that, like, the, the, the speed of the ball, like, people used to drill it into you a lot harder. Really? Which helped them technically. But in terms of tactically, not so much. Mm-hmm. Who's the best team you came up against in Scotland? I think Glasgow City were tough. Um, Rangers, obviously, were Celtic. Um it's all, all between Glasgow, Celtic and Rangers, which is, I mean, Hibernian's going full-time next season, so that's going to be good for the league. But, like, when you talk about the championship, it's interesting when teams can, anyone, anyone can be anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just inconsistent, the Scottish season, because, you know, you're only going to come up against a few hard teams. Um, but it, it is getting better. Um, but, I mean... You've just got to look at the Super League as well and you, you think how many more teams are able to beat each other, like Tottenham, the improvements of Tottenham this season. Definitely. They're up there in like top four and to look at how much they've developed since last season. and I think that's only going to get better with the media. Definitely. They were only promoted a few years ago, right? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. It's surprising, yeah. I mean. The, the one before Man, Man U. I think so. I think so, yeah. And then it was United. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant, yeah. For a club to do that, it's great. Yeah. How did I... you find it when you moved back to Sunderland then? Because you were in Hibernian during the lockdown period and you came back, was it last summer, June 2021 as well? How did you find it coming back to Sunderland? Because again, you had your coaching business there, you had your fitness mm-hmm. that you were doing as well, your boxing again, and you came home in a way as well. So how did you find that when you returned back to Sunderland, Charlotte? Well, it was sort of like getting the lifestyle that I used to have before Hibernian. Yeah. Except this time, there's a lot of more. There's a lot more pressures because of the leagues a little bit harder. We yeah. had a very, very young team, so I personally felt a little bit rela- heavily relied on. Okay. Um, and I didn't have that balance. Um, I didn't have the time for the the self care, um, recharging my batteries, uh and sort of the financial pressures that I was experiencing as well, because um, I was putting more effort into my football, because let's be honest, I've got a lot of ambition and aspirations to go to go higher. Definitely. And yeah, I just didn't have that balance. And I sensed going back to live at home, like I went back to live with family. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily like, it didn't feel fair. I was putting a lot of pressures on my family to support me again and a 27 year old still living at home when you've been away so many times and learning and experiencing like um with stresses and I can sort of like sense when my mom's stressed and wanting to support her um but when I'm not feeling good within myself to support her stresses um it's just the pressure gets on top of you definitely um, and it, let's be honest, it's not cheap to support yourself as a footballer. 
the nutrition side of it. It's an expensive lifestyle. Especially in women's football, right? Yeah. I mean... I need to know more about this. So you, you can both tell us about what it's like as a women footballer on the nutrition side of things as well, because this is new for me. So Millie and Charlotte, you can tell us both your experiences of how you have to support yourself on a daily, weekly basis type thing. That'd be quite fun to learn. That's interesting. Charlotte, do you want to go first? Well, obviously, if you've got a dual career and you've got the time for the meal prep, you, you need to find time to do your meals for one. Um, you're not getting fed at the club like we weren't at Sunderland. And is that the same with you, Millie, as well? Exactly the same, yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so like because obviously you're training a lot, you're expending more calories than everyone else, so you need to have more calorie intake. So obviously that's more expense for one. Um and yeah, it's just and then you're obviously working on top of that, and it's obviously finding time to eat and um it, for me, I think it's sort of like the mealtime. Uh, the meal timing, um, you need to have time to be able to eat to prepare properly for training. And it's all about quality and quantity. Like, And it just wasn't right. The balance wasn't right. Definitely. I agree with that. I mean, I think the thing that we trained in the evenings as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we start, I set off around 5 p.m. So it's mm-hmm. like, when do I eat lunch and do I eat dinner? Do I not eat dinner? Do I eat dinner when I come back at 11 at night? I mean, it was all over the place, really. And you're right, you've got to prepare. But when you're working and you're training and then you come home tired and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to cook, I don't want to prepare. But you kind of have to because what are you going to eat the next day? And then sometimes you come home from work and you're tired and you just put a meal together. But you're right, you've got to get the calories in before you train and afterwards. I mean, it is difficult to balance. It is. Um, And like cost cost wise as well sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know I can't pay five pounds for a bag of oranges or something like that every week do you know what I mean it's you've got yeah. to be cost effective with these fresh fruits these fresh um meals what you're supposed to have as an athlete mm-hmm. as a footballer but you do you've got to make it cost effective whether that's I don't know frozen fruit or whatever <laughs> and you, you're going back to training evenings as well and I mean your body isn't made to be a professional uh, footballer, your body's not made to be training on evenings because you've got to then wind down, you've got to fuel, and then you've got to give yourself yourself a chance for that fuel to settle in to then sleep, whereas we're sleeping when we are fueling, like yeah. immediately. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the hormone production and everything, it's, your body's not made to do that. Definitely. The body clock is crazy at that time as well because you're meant to be recovering from... Yeah. you're training but you have to eat and if you can't eat at the time when you went to sleep it's all over the place it's crazy yeah, I mean, that way as well I was, co- I was coaching a quarter to nine the next morning after training yeah and I'm still in recovery mode I'm still I've still got that mental fatigue going on yeah um, so I'm like caffeine 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 but then that's not good because then all you're doing is you're masking the fatigue mm. uh so yeah yeah and definitely one of the main things for recovery is sleep, right? And you're not getting it. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is this is insane. But no, thank you very much, both of you, for sharing that. Because that's something that I've kind of known from Millie, but not known to the extent of what it actually is on a daily, weekly, monthly basis as well. So thank you very much for sharing mm-hmm. that as well. Charlotte, I want to take you back to November 2021 when you're, you were at Sandlin. Um, I know you said that you were leaving a couple of months or so after that. 
as well, obviously, and we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to take you to, um, what was it, the 4th of November 2021, when you were playing away to Blackburn Rovers. And I wanted you to kind of talk me through, if you can remember, if you were having um, a good game against Millie at the time, because Millie was playing in that game as well. Uh, I think it was in the, was was in the Cup. Yeah, it's, yeah in the con- um, it's in the Continental Cup. And, uh, and Millie yeah. just returned back from um, Italy where she was playing. And she was in the first team at Blackburn at the mm-hmm. time as well. So you two have actually faced off against each other on the pitch as well. So I, That's I very interesting. <laughs> do, do you not recognise Charlotte, Millie? Do you not recognize- I mean, I don't think, honestly, I don't think I played that game. <laughs> you sure? I can't remember it. Continental Cup. Continental Cup. Blackburn it was, was, an, two, it was an evening. Yeah, it was an evening. Blackburn was... lost 2-1 and Millie, you were starting and Charlotte was oh, at the centre-back. Oh, no way. Blackburn right. at home, right? We were at home. Blackburn were at home. Okay, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to forget it, but yeah, yeah I remember it. I've got long hair now as well, so like, I don't know if you were. Like, I mean, you when you're, you're not you in, your, in your football gear, it's completely different, isn't it? To be honest, I didn't even make it up the pitch, so you were playing centre-back, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't make it that far up the pitch, I don't think. <laughs> just holding it down in midfield, just holding it down. No, it was a good game, though. I, I remember it as being a good game, a night game, evening game under the lights. Who doesn't like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Charlotte's got a bit more to say because obviously they won, right? Yeah, um, I think I, we conceded late on as well and I was fuming. Um, who scored How- the blonde girl scored? What's her name? Was it Farrow? Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. Probably, Far- yeah. Farrow Compton. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. He was wearing words, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fun. Well, actually, like, I see, it wasn't on my side when that happened, and it was the other side, and it's even worse when you know you can read it before it happens, and you can't, like, obviously you can see it, but if people don't react to your communication, oh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How was the Conti Cup, Continental Cup? How was that for you this year? Um, the Sunday. I enjoyed it. Uh, we played it. Obviously, my group, our group, we only had uh, one Super League team, Aston Villa. And when we played against Aston Villa, it was like I was the oldest player on the pitch. I was playing with a lot of young players. We didn't have our strongest team, and I had a chest infection and I had no voice. So a lot of my game is actually communication and organisation, which went to show that I had no voice and we got beat 7-0. <laughs> oh, did you? We actually won against Villa. I think did that, you? yeah, we did. We had a decent cup run, to be honest. We went away to Villa and I think we won 1-0. Um, yeah, I mean, they did have a lot of young people playing. Um, we, had, we had like the full first team. Really? Yeah, we played against a really strong first first team, Aston Villa, and wow. we had we had one of our youngest teams out ever, so it was very like very difficult. My very good back, team. Centre back partner wasn't there. And yeah, you sense the difference. But yeah. I mean, who used to say when we had our strong team would it be different? But I don't know. Yeah, it's so, one of those, isn't it? But it's always good to face some like a club like that. Yeah, you can Test- really see where you are. Yeah. Really good experience in that case as well for both of you. Because again, when you're playing against these teams in the cup as well, it just makes it easier for you to be like, that's a level one to strive towards. I want to be part of that team. Or you could be a bit cheeky and be like, you know what? I'm probably better than their centre mid or their centre back as well. 
I could probably slot into that team quite easily as well. Which is, which no, is I, def fun. I definitely felt capable of being at their level, but it's difficult when you sort of have your team who feel a lot of pressure from that. Yeah. And you're trying to calm them down and it takes it takes away the ability for you to focus on your game. And I sense that a lot a lot this season. Because how important is peace of mind for you, Charlotte, when you're actually playing football? Because I know you've you've mentioned it before. You're a really busy person. You've had a lot going on, which is commendable. Like I appreciate everything you've done. But when you're on that pitch for 90 minutes, whichever team you're playing for, how important is having that peace of mind when you're actually trying to organise your defence? You're trying to read the game. You're trying to understand which of their plays is, are the ones to look out for, who are the dangers. How can you kind of describe that for us, Charlotte? What do you mean in terms of peace of mind? So the fact that you're aware of what's going on during the game for 90 minutes, you're not worrying about what your teammates are doing or if your teammate has said to you an hour before kickoff, oh, I feel like I've got a bit of an injury on my ankle or something like that. So you don't have to worry you've about got, them. You can just focus on you for the whole game. Well, you've got to, you've got to think about that because as a centre-back, if you know that one of your team's struggling, you, it's like where can you fill the gaps where you identify when they're struggling? Hmm. So... I mean, I talk about attention systems as a centre-back because it's like, how can you do multiple things at once? How yeah. can you focus on your game? How can you read everyone's emotions? How can you identify what's going on within the other team? Communicate all at once. And um, I think it's sort of just building habit, habits. Yeah. If you can make one thing a habit, you can just add more habits to that. So... I mean, it's funny because when I went to Switzerland and obviously I had to organize and learn to organize in a different language. Yeah. That's when you took the attention away from one thing because you were focusing on the other thing. So, like I say, it's it's all about building habits. Definitely. How was your experience moving to Switzerland? Because you played for was it uh, Lugano? Lugano that you played for in Switzerland. Because yeah. that's a beautiful place in Europe as well, a beautiful place in the world. So, how was that experience moving abroad from? United Kingdom all the way to Switzerland to play uh, football for yourself? Let's just say it was a beautiful place. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, um, I mean, I didn't get paid. Mm. So I had a lot of challenges to face while I was out there. Definitely. But, I mean, I was in such a low place in December to going out there and taking myself from an environment where I was really struggling and going and just experiencing gratitude for being in a beautiful place mm. to uh, to get your mental well-being to get your well-being put right uh, was amazing and uh, being in a different language where you're just you're watching everyone and you're learning a new culture to not think of what's going on in your life that's um, making you feel so low it was good but obviously what language, what language was it? French. Italian Nice. It's Italian in Switzerland. I was very close to the Italian border. Oh, that's really cool. It was beautiful. Don't worry. Millie, Millie's told drawing. us so many times about how when she moved to Italy and she had to learn another language. So, Millie, this is your spiel if you need to say it. Go ahead and you, say it. You know Italian? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I can understand Italian. I lived there for two years. I can understand it. But it's very hard for me to speak it, like with the pronunciation and things like that. I find it very difficult. I don't know about you. I found it difficult to pick up to learn. Like yeah. I only, I only learned the football terminology. Yeah, that's all you need. Honestly, 
yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah, because everything else. And the spritz, you know. Nah, it's about how you go shopping as well, how you learn how to shop and you, you're asking for like, where, where's the pasta or something like that. Not pasta, obviously, because yeah. this is Italian, but it's the little things that you kind of need help with directions as well. Yeah. Like well, for me, obviously, because I was experiencing a lot of difficulties with the club in terms of pay, uh-huh. and there, was, there had to be a lot of communication going on with the club of what's going to happen, when am I getting paid, and like a lot of communication which ended up becoming draining because everything had to be translated. So all of my energy all the time was Google Translate, Google Translate, Google Translate of all of these problems. And it was sort of like not allowing me to prepare for football properly, um, which did become stressful. Uh, but, I mean, there was benefits to it as well. So Yeah, it's difficult when you deal with actual, like, serious things. Like, yeah, you can deal with stuff on the pitch, but you kind of figure that out with actions, with like, I don't know, with, I guess not with words, you can figure it out with your body language and other stuff. But when it comes down to like serious, like business stuff, it's so hard to get your word across, your meaning across, like, and it could be, I don't know, someone could take something one way, someone could take something another way. It's very difficult. It is such a difficult situation to be in. And it's being able to control your emotions as you're trying to problem solve with the business Definitely. side of it. Because I think in terms of football, it's like you know how to resolve something. But if somebody else has got that control to be able to resolve it, you just feel you feel helpless, which obviously builds anger and builds frustration. And it's like, I need to control this anger and frustration and not allow it to take, to take it in football because it's just different. The girls don't deserve for me to like to show that frustration to them uh I won't lie I did get a little bit frustrated with them at at some points like the the business side of it but they needed to see that frustration in order to act uh because they didn't understand the actual impacts it was having on my life I mean we've got bills how can we how can you like how can you move to a different country and not get paid it's it's just crazy yeah, 100%, 100%. And how was the actual football? Like, what is the Swiss football like? Were there good teams? Were there, is all the league the same or? Uh, it was decent, the intensity. Um, I, I found it was very similar to Scotland. Um, Both beautiful places to visit on holiday as well. Yeah, beautiful, yeah. Really? In terms, of, like when we talk about tactical and the intelligence... I don't think there's many places where you're going to get that other than England. Really? To be honest. Like, if you look at... Like, I was watching even the men's Atal Syria game where in our playing AC and it's like, back and forward. So quick. It's like, how many times do people actually build that possession in order to attack with quality? Other than Spain and Brazil. I mean, Spain and Spanish and Brazilian football. Amazing. German football, really, really good. Physical, yeah. And Danish football. Danish football is slept on. That's just for me personally. I I said this on Friday night. Danish football is so slept on. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, they got to the semi-final of the Euros. Like, yeah, they did, but they're a very good team regardless. And they're very good young players coming through as well on the men and the women's side as well, which is really good to see. Yeah, I'm intrigued with different, like, different styles, different countries. So much you can learn from it as well. You can always take that 1% from another nationality or league and take it onto your own development as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But Charlotte, just before we wrap up the podcast, I just wanted to know 
a bit more about what you're doing now. If the listeners here have been listening throughout the whole podcast, I'm pretty sure they'd be rooting for you to have a really good summer, to be able to get back onto um, working on yourself and in, on your football for the next coming year ahead as well. So what can you tell us that you're up to at the moment? How um, How is your time in Canada going to be spent and what are you really looking forward to achieve this summer coming up? Coming up? Well, it's a club I was at a few years ago and uh, it's like it's ran by like English coaches but obviously they've got Canadian coaches also and yep. they're trying to build a professional women's environment they've got the men's professional side um a team called Cavalry um Ooh, Cavalry Cavalry yeah do you know a coach called Jason Blake by any chance is a British guy that lives there as well um I'm not too sure if not, I'll send him. I'll send him your details after the podcast because he lives there and is working on Canadian football in that area as well. So that'll be that could be some. I've, I've heard of the name, mm. but I don't think I've met him. That's um, okay. So yeah, like they're trying to build the women's professional side, so they're doing all of the groundwork now. Yeah. And I'll be completely honest. Since I was here three years ago, there's been a lot of development. Brilliant. Um, they're playing in the UWS, which is the second tier American league. Yeah, it's strange, but there's obviously two Canadian teams in this conference too. Brilliant. Um, it's sort of split up into different conferences, and it, the winners of each conference then go into like national finals. Um, so it's only two months. It's an intense season. Um, we have like ten games in two months, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, we've got away games going to Utah, Arizona. California and uh, it's sort of just going to keep me it's going to get me strong ready for next season because of the inconsistency of this season we're training four times a week um, three strength and conditioning sessions so it's pretty much like a full time environment it's what we love to uh, hear really yeah it's it's building that robustness you can be as fit as ever but as long as you've got if you haven't got that robustness to train every day completely different i think we've just got the title of the podcast there millie for charlotte that's actually that's actually really good advice for not just anyone as an athlete or a professional footballer or a footballer in general just for anyone in general just in robustness in your work life in your social life in your environment that you're in as well get through the hard times work through the hard times that you're in control your perspective and your attitude moving forward as well and see where you are going forward later on five months six months down the line as well which will be really good and you can't you can't get that robustness if you go 100 miles per hour all the time. Exactly. You need, slow, you need to slow down. In Canada, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, the most peaceful place on earth. Like It's so so mellow, so chilled, and it allows you to slow down to then speed up. Putting everything into perspective as well, which is great. It's really? so nice to hear that, you know. Mm. Like Honestly, from, from your perspective as well, for me to learn from you, it's really nice for someone else, another athlete, to say to say that really I mean it sums it up doesn't it mm -hmm. I mean you, you can even link it to football you cannot go 100 mile per hour in a football game and keep that quality and that's why I've said the quality wasn't good in Scotland because they were going 100 mile per hour all of the time yeah. which is where you, you look at international football the men's Premier League look at De Bruyne how composed he is he, speeds up, he speeds up and he gets the he gets the precision on his passes perfect because he learns when it's right to slow, to go yeah. quick, 
quick then slow, quick then slow. You yeah. can't do that. You can't go 100 miles per hour for 90 minutes. Definitely. You've got to work smart, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's the same with life. 100% love that. Definitely love that as well. Not really the De Bruyne thing because I'm a Man United fan, but I can appreciate Kevin De Bruyne for what he's done in British football and in his career as well. Before we wrap up the podcast, Charlotte, I just want to say thank you very much for your time, for your honesty and for your efforts on the podcast today. It's been fantastic to learn not just about you yourself or you yourself as the footballer, just everything that you told us from your different avenues of working over your career as well. It's been fantastic to learn from you as well. Millie will wrap up the podcast for us, but she has one um quick five questions I asked you today so Millie if you want to finish off the podcast by asking this quick five question to Charlotte that would be fantastic yes very quickly my final question for you is if you had a little note to give to your younger self let's say your 14 year old self what best piece of advice would you give to her understand your ego can you elaborate a little bit? Um, I think your ego is your protection. Um, but also, if you can't control it or you can't tame it, um, it helps you develop a negative mindset. And it's always best to stay positive. And um, as long as you can use your, you can use your ego, um, your alter ego to benefit you. But as long as you, you can't explain it. You're, you're using can't. your ego for your benefit, basically. That's yeah, what yeah. Get to. Not falling, you falling into you the trap of your ego, building yourself you with your ego. Control. You can't, don't let your ego control you. You control your ego. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's very, it's very like, it's underrated that because not many people know that either, that their ego basically controls them. It's kind of hardwired into us like throughout yeah. our life and I think that when you really grasp that um thought I guess it kind of I don't know you can you understand it then and you can work on it and it lets you be more free with yourself I guess it's all about that mental freedom mm-hmm. definitely living with mental freedom that's really nice to hear Charlotte thank you very much for your time Charlotte, whilst we wrap up the podcast, where can everyone find you? Because we will put your links in the description below the podcast. We'll share the podcast with yourself later on down the line. But before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, where can everyone find your details? And if you could recommend this podcast to one of your friends or uh, people that you know in the industry, another football player, for example, another coach that you've met um, previously and you're working with, who, would you recommend this podcast to someone to come on and talk about their um their way of, of going about things with their with their mindset with their mentality with them working in the football industry um is it just football that you talk about anything regarding like mentality or fitness or that, anything like that I, i'm very intrigued with um boxers mindsets yeah um and i mean we talk about like controlling your ego and don't let your ego control you and understanding consciousness yeah. higher consciousness Boxers have to do that because it's like that warrior mindset. And it's a solo mindset as well, singular mindset. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I've got a friend, um, Stevie Levi, who's a professional boxer, who's on that journey to mental freedom, to building higher consciousness. And I would definitely recommend it for her. Brilliant. um, To listen to to and maybe to speak about her experiences. 
Oh, well, I'd, yeah. I'd love that. Millie would love that as well. She's just I had that time where she has to go out of the office at the time. But no, if, if, Steve, if she was available to come onto the podcast, we'd happily get her to teach us a lot more about mentality, about the singular mindset as a boxer as well. That'd be fantastic. But everyone, thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Music, wherever you're listening to our podcast. Please follow Charlotte with the uh, descriptions that we'll leave in the link below as well. Charlotte, thank you once again for taking up your time, your opportunity, again, whilst you're jet lagged, again, whilst you're in the other side of the world as well, to speak to us about your mindset, your mentality, your way of doing multiple things at the same time. I applaud you. And I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen because it's only going to be it's only going to be better from here on out, Charlotte. I can't wait to see what's happening going forward. But everyone, thank you very much for listening. Charlotte, thank you for your time. Millie, thank you for your time as always. And we'll see you later. Goodbye.